But uh, Mike and Kelly have been fellowship-supported missionaries for the past two years. Uh, they have, uh, they've been with Crew, which was renamed from Campus Crusade for Christ in, since 1997. And they have served in Florida, North Carolina, uh, Siberia, and are currently in Buda, Hungary. Now, you notice I said Buda and not Budapest, like most people would say. They actually live in the Buda side. I know the area that they, that they live in. Budapest is two cities, by the way. Um, they, uh, uh, and so uh, Mike is the crew European leader for leadership development and HR, uh, serving as a missionary care leader for over 1,200 crew staff in Europe. It's a crucial position because uh, over uh, about half of the missionaries who go out in the field come back after leave after two years. And uh, talking with Mike, they, they're able to uh, increase the retention rate to about 75%. Missionaries need support out there. It's lonely. Uh, uh, additionally, Kelly is an executive assistant to the crew global vice president reaching top-level leaders around the world. And, uh, and I know that she's busy because when I, I was trying to connect with them and talk with them last year, and we finally said, well, forget it. Ke Kelly's, you know, sh she's going to be gone. Let's just accept it. She was in Uganda when, with, uh, with the leader when, when, uh, when we made the call. So she's going to share what she does also. Uh, their, their daughter, Libby, is the one reason why they're here is because Libby is uh, helping her settle in at Appalachian State. She's going to go to the school there. And Molly, is uh, she's looking at where she could possibly go. Um, uh, now, they have a natural connection to us. Mike is from Spring Place which you all know where Spring Place is. Uh, his mother lives in Dalton, and uh, Kelly is actually Paula Pasqua's cousin. So, uh, so I just want to introduce to you Mike and, uh, Mike and Kelly Maney. Thank you, Tom. Yes, so um, good morning. Thank you so much for having us join you. Um, if I get confused at any point along the way, um, I'll remind you that I've lived away from Spring Place for some time and quite a few other places, but my family makes fun of me because whenever we enter into North Georgia, all of a sudden my accent starts to come back again, and, and they tease me, and I don't realize it's happening. So if that happens during this time, I'm not, I'm not teasing or making fun, it's the real me coming out. Um, so, yes, I grew up in Spring Place, went to Murray County High School, class of 92, went to the University of Georgia, and yet despite all that, our connection to Fellowship Bible Church comes through Colorado. <laughs> yeah, that's right. My cousin Paula is here, so we're, we're super thankful to be here with you today. Thank you so much for having us. It's really, really a pleasure to be here with you. Um, it was really great to hear you guys talk about the Romania trip because I uh, grew up doing missions in high school and in college, and my first mission trip was to Romania, working with youth groups. It sounded so similar to what you guys did, so it was really fun to hear about your trip, and that trip really made an impact on me. It's where I first learned, like, okay, my parents were in full-time ministry too, but I realized on that trip, it's not just my parents who can do ministry, I can too, and really opened my eyes to missions, to the needs around the world, and to being able to share the gospel with people for the first time, some of them who had 
really would have never stepped foot in a church, but they would have totally come to a youth camp. So um, that was a really that was a really great connection. Thank you for sharing that with us, and um, it was super fun to see the pictures too. I looked over at my daughters and I was like, oh, some of these pictures look like home. Um, so as Tom said, we live in Budapest, Hungary, and you probably know Hungary borders Romania and also borders Ukraine. So we're just a hop, skip, and a jump away from where you guys were on your trips. Um, like Tom said, we are working with Campus Crusade for Christ, and we've been doing that for 26 years. Um, we've lived all over the world, um, all the way out in Siberia to now in, in Budapest, Hungary. And um, over the 26 years, we've done student ministry, um, working with college students around the world. And then we've, we moved back to the U.S. for a time period for Mike to pursue a pastoral counseling degree, focusing on caring for missionaries. And then seven years ago, we moved our family to Budapest to be a part of caring for and developing European missionary staff who are doing a variety of ministries um, around evangelism and discipleship. So there's a slide of Hungary coming up that you're welcome to show. Um, and although we have a lot of, um, it's not that slide, but there it is, in red, there's Hungary. Um, we have a lot of experience sending uh, cross-cultural missionaries around the world, but the focus of our ministry now is working with national staff. So that means we're working with Romanians who are in Romania. We're working with Italians who serve in Italy and Albanians who serve in Albania. So we're, as we're talking today about missionaries, we're not just speaking about people who get on an airplane and fly across the world to tell people about Jesus. We're talking about anybody who follows the example of the friends that we're going to read about in Mark chapter 2. As Jerry mentioned, you know, any of us, all of us can be missionaries by following uh, this example in Mark chapter 2. So as we look at the passage, we're actually going to talk about a few things. One, what do missionaries do? I think many of you are very familiar with that, but just to give some context. What does it take to be a missionary? There are some, um, some unique things that are needed. And then what are the unique challenges that missionaries face? And then finally, uh, why do we care for missionaries? Why do they need care? So uh, if you will, pray with me before we read the passage. Um, Father, we come to you grateful for your uh, reaching out to us, your coming to us. We're grateful for your word that is able to open our eyes and open our hearts to experience your truth. We pray that you would do that this morning, that your truth would, uh, would change us and make us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to read Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. You can follow along on the screen or open your Bible and follow along there. Let's read together. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by the four of them. Since they could not get to him, to, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. So like the four friends in this story, what missionaries primarily do is bring people to Jesus. Uh, it begins with building relationships with people who, who need Jesus. You know, they, they have this relationship with this paralytic, which um, is honestly in that culture is remarkable in itself because, as you know, anyone who is uh, un, unwhole uh, is considered unclean ceremonial, ceremonially. So they, they had this relationship, they were willing to reach out, and they took initiative to actually bring him to Jesus. Uh, especially what we see and what missionaries do is that um, they took initiative to bring him not knowing whether they were going to be successful or not. And uh, it reminds me of, uh, I think we have a slide with a quote that Dr. Bill Bright, who found Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, he gave the de definition of successful evangelism as uh, taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. I think about my first missionary experience. Um, I had just graduated from UGA, and I decided, okay, I want to take a step of faith, and so I signed up to go on a mission trip to Mexico. And for me, having grown up in Spring Place, hardly even having left the Southeast, it was a little intimidating. And to me, I thought, okay, if, if I go to Mexico, no matter how badly things go, at least I can walk home from there. So I showed up for the first meeting of this team that was going to go on this, miss, this mission trip and found out that they had changed the destination to Bangkok, Thailand. So having a little bit too much pride to um, admit defeat, I didn't want to lose face, and so I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll go for this. It was a lot bigger than I was uh, prepared for, but I decided to go for it. And uh, while there, I met this group of students, um, and over the course of getting to know them in the beginning of the, it was like a six-week project in, uh, in Bangkok, found out that these were people who truly had never heard the name Jesus. Now, this was in the late 90s, we didn't have the internet, but it was still, it was in a major city. And these were college students, and they had not seen a Bible, they had not heard of Jesus. And so um, I got to share, share Christ with them. Um, it was really interesting that as I shared with them, they were often so much more interested than I was used to having been on a college campus sharing with people who were very familiar. And they hung on every word, and I thought, wow, this feels really easy to talk about. And then, as the summer progressed, 
um, and I got to share more and more, they began to, to accept Christ. Um, several of them did in this photo. Uh, in particular, there's this one student named Guy. Yes, he's a guy named Guy. He's actually the uh, second one from the left in the photo. And this guy, I don't remember ever seeing him smile the whole summer. And he in particular, when he prayed to accept Jesus, he lifted his head up to heaven and raised his arm, arms up in the sky, and this joyful smile came on his face. And it was like one of those moments like, click, the picture just gets burned into your mind. And as I reflected back in my summer, I kept thinking of that. I said, I want to do that. I want to make those kind of things happen. And so that's uh, how I began the journey to becoming a missionary myself. So we're talking about what, what missionaries do and taking initiative by faith. Um, Tom mentioned that my role does take me at different places around the world as we're helping national ministries develop new ministries of how they can reach leaders in their city. So this spring I had the opportunity to go to Buenos Aires, Argentina, where we were meeting with staff there as they were planning for different ways to um, how can they share about Jesus in different target audiences. So Charlie and Andrea are two of our staff. Um, they're, well, they're in one of the pictures there. And they were gathering a group of about 30 leaders in the community. So there were business people, teachers, government professionals, medical doctors, and they all really, they had this desire to um, say, how can we share about Jesus with our coworkers? And it was there that I met Mariella. She's the girl on the left in the picture with just about five people. And Mariella is a young 30-something-year-old lady. She works in the mayor's office there. And incidentally, this mayor is probably a future potential president candidate for Argentina, and she's not a believer. But Mariella was looking for ways she could reach out to her coworkers. And uh, as we're talking about, um, you know, just ideas, brainstorming, like how can we do this in the marketplace, um, Mariella said, oh, you know what? My boss just asked me the other day if I could lead some kind of small group thing on leadership development, and I haven't known what to do, but what if I do something where... Um, where I'm sharing about my faith and how it impacts me personally and how it impacts my work. And maybe over time, I'm building these relationships and I can share the gospel. We're like, yes, this is a great idea, Mariella. Um, and so, yeah, it's because the mayor trusts Mariella to give her this kind of job to do. And then Mariella looked and saw the opportunity to take initiative. Um, so, of course, the staff, Charlie and Andrea, are very excited to support Mariella, her initiative. They're continuing to meet for encouragement, for discipleship. Mariella is truly taking steps of faith to share the gospel at her work, um, even with a potential president. And our staff, Charlie and Andrea, they are also taking steps of faith. They're continuing to initiate with marketplace leaders to challenge them, to see how can we bring our colleagues, how can we bring the friends around us to bring them to Jesus no matter where they're at. And so, like we said before, evangelism is taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and leaving the results to God. And the men in Mark chapter 2, they were doing just this. They were taking initiative to bring their friend to Jesus. So what does it take to be a missionary? Uh, when the four friends discovered that they couldn't get the paralytic all the way to Jesus, they didn't just give up and go back home, as we, 
as we know, they made this opening, which um, if you look at, a, if you could see a picture of a house from the period, you would know that there are steps going up the outside, and they took the paralytic up these steps onto the roof, and they made an opening in the roof to lower him down. Now, these roofs were made of mud and thatch and were actually on beams that would support a person walking on it. And so when you think about what it would have taken to make that opening, it's actually quite a scene if you put yourself there. You know, the mud would have to be pretty thick to support a person walking on it. Take, making the opening would have been really messy. And if you imagine inside, there's probably dirt and straw falling down. And the opening that they made was above Jesus' head. And if you know much about the culture of the time, you know, the head is like the, the holiest part of yourself. And there was likely dirt falling around, maybe even on Jesus' head as this was happening. And the man that they lowered down, as we mentioned again, would have been considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. This whole scenario, culturally, would have been very offensive. Most teachers would have condemned this behavior as, as being extremely offensive. Yet, in the face of potentially offending Jesus and others, and even you know the, the homeowner whose roof is being torn up, they persevered. Why, why, what made them persevere? I believe it's because they knew Jesus. They knew his goodness, they knew his power, and they knew his humility. And this actually, this idea of knowing something well brings up a story from when we lived in Siberia. This is a picture of Lake Baikal, which is the deepest freshwater lake in the world, and actually by volume, the largest, largest lake overall. Um, this picture only captures a small part of it, but Kelly, when we were dating, she went to spend a year in Siberia as a missionary. And partway through the year, I went to visit her with an engagement ring in my pocket. Um, where she lived was near this lake. And to me, it seemed like an appropriate place to go to, uh, to propose to her. So we went out, we got on the train, we went out to the lake. It was March, and so the signs of spring were starting to show snow and ice were melting, uh, but there was a layer of ice on the lake. Now, like I said, I grew up in Spring Place, had hardly traveled outside the southeast, and so I had never walked on a frozen lake, and I was pretty sure that was not a good idea to ever try. However, um, you know, here I am with my about-to-be, hopefully, fiancé. Um, when Kelly invited me to come out and walk on it, I, I couldn't let my intimidation show. So I went for it. So I'm starting to walk out onto the ice and I'm gaining confidence with each step. And I'm starting to think this is really cool when all of a sudden my foot goes through and I let out a very embarrassingly um, high-pitched scream. <laughs> and uh, all imagination of me um, being a tough guy went out the window. Uh, my heart jumped into my throat and um, it took me a minute, but once I came to my senses, I realized I had just like stepped through the, uh, the snow layer that was on top of the ice. And 
short, just a moment after this, I also looked out toward the middle of the lake and saw a dump truck driving across the lake. <laughs> you know, I, I found out, you know, through this visit that um, it's a much shorter route between two cities to go right across the lake than all the way around it. And interestingly, um, there are um, at least stories of numerous cars at the bottom of this lake where somebody in the spring has uh, been driving along and they drive with the door open so that if the ice cracks and the car goes through, they can dive out of it. So I wasn't the only, you know, I, I wasn't the only one who might have been scared, but the, the thing that's interesting is that this truck driver knew the ice well. He knew what it could handle, and he used it to carry his, his load across. I didn't know the ice well, so I was afraid of something that really I shouldn't have been afraid of. Um, missionaries must know Jesus well so that they can persevere in the face of their challenges. So um, what does it take to be a missionary? Knowing Jesus's, his goodness, his power, and his humility so that when you face the obstacles to bringing people to Jesus, you don't doubt that it's worth it. Now, within this story, um, we can also keep in mind that sometimes the paralytic in the story can actually be the missionary. In addition to the challenges we all experience as followers of Christ, um, missionaries experience additional unique challenges. They might not be totally unique, but in a greater degree. Things like uh, the immense pressure to fulfill the Great Commission. Uh, measuring their value by their performance in ministry. Comparison with other missionaries. Or even uh, unrealistic expectations of themselves or the unrealistic expectations of others. Uh, often, they struggle with mixing up the idea of working for God as a replacement for having a relationship with him. They face frequent rejection from those that they are trying to help and face frequent and often intense spiritual warfare. As a result, missionaries can become wounded spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, and relationally, and they need friends who will help them, who will bring them to Jesus, knowing that you know, the, the gospel is not just for the unbeliever to come into a relationship with Jesus. It is the very lifeblood of that relationship going forward, no matter how far we progress so these unique challenges that we mentioned call for specialized support, and that's what we do. That's our ministry. We provide specialized care, development, and assistance to our staff across Europe and really around the world. Although the reach of our ministry is very broad, over the past year and a half, we have spent a significant amount of time working with Ukrainian refugees, um, including our staff from Ukraine, uh, one of whom Kelly's going to share about. Yeah, so we, we do a lot of things with missionaries here, but I would like to tell you about our involvement with Ukraine. And it was super encouraging to hear about your stories of how you got to bring aid and resources into Ukraine, because um, it's, it's definitely a huge need. But since the full-scale invasion in Ukraine, there have been a lot of opportunities to reach out to our staff in Ukraine. We have with crew that when the invasion began, um, there was 120 full-time missionary staff with Campus Crusade serving in Ukraine. Almost all of them 
needed to evacuate from their homes, um, some just to safer parts in Ukraine and many outside of Ukraine. And we had a whole bunch come to Budapest, to Hungary. And we hosted a lot of different families. I think five different families lived with us over a period of time. Um, it was in our community, it was like all hands on deck. You know, everybody's trying to look for a way to serve and to help. And so, but really during this time, um, my understanding of what a refugee is significantly changed. We hosted um, one of our dear friends, Sasha and Ira Zalewski, and their three daughters. They came to live with us for about a month. And um, yeah, I realized like refugees are, can be people just like us. Um, Ira is a mom of three girls. Uh, she's, she and her husband, they're leaders in a ministry. And yet she came to us with just a few bags, only the bags that she could pack um, in a, a, a panic as they were hurrying out of their home, did not even knowing if they were going to ever go back. And then in the midst of her panic, she's helping her kids grab her things, and she got to her house, and she realized, oh, I left my bag of clothes by the door, you know, and I thought, this is the true mom. This is, you know, we can all relate to this. Um, well, I mean, I haven't really had to do that, but I was just putting myself in her shoes, and I, I felt a lot of empathy for her. But as they lived with us for a month, um, many times Ira would be really distracted by the news. She's checking in on her friends and her family, um, almost constant streams of texts with friends who were needing help. They're trying to, you know, get people out of Ukraine, get people to safety, hear what's the latest news. Sometimes she'd want to verbally process what was going on. Um, other times there was a clear sense of panic, um, the inability to even speak about something. Um, sometimes it was just to, she would just cry, like the chaos that she was in and that literally like every single person she knew was in this place of chaos. Um, and in the midst of all that, she had children to care for. She needed to prepare the food. She was trying to figure out their schooling. She had laundry to do. Um, so initially, the ways that we showed care for this family was taking care of their physical needs, like offering them a safe home, a place to rest, beds, clothing, food. Um, the kids started attending the same international Christian school where our kids go. And Ira became one of my good friends. We would spend a lot of time talking, and I could listen to her process, explain what was on her mind. Um, as time went on, I helped her learn how to go buy groceries in Hungary. Um, it was a new country, a new language for her. Learned how to help her to drive so she could be sufficient in, in getting around and taking care of her family. We did English lessons because... Um, she needed, to, she needed to improve on her English so that she could be living in this new place. And we talked about how are our kids doing? How do we help them succeed at school? How do we serve the needs in our community? How can we serve the other Ukrainian staff? And, um, and all along, there were a bazillion reminders, true reminders, that this world is really not our home. And Ira and my other Ukrainian friends, they really know that truth probably more than anybody else I know, that this world is not our home. Um, though Ira's situation is um, more extreme than what most of our staff experience, it is a good example of the diverse ways that we do come alongside our staff to provide them with care and development. Um, you know, numerous of our staff uh, have experienced PTSD as a result of their evacuation. Um, but we've also been alongside many of our missionaries all over Europe um, as they have learned to cope with anxiety and depression 
you know, COVID um, had the same kind of effects on them as it did for everybody else. Um, we've been alongside them as they've recovered from burnout. Um, you may have heard of compassion fatigue or, you know, burnout where basically, um, you know, our staff begin to treat work more like a way of escaping from reality and eventually can get to a place to where um, they're burned out of it, they can't continue, and they need someone to come alongside them. I've come alongside them to help them repair marriage, their marriages, um, like all of us. You know, they are um, in their marriages. They both have flesh and patterns that um, need to be uh, surrendered to Christ. So we come alongside them to help with that. We come alongside them to help them overcome addictions um, and many other challenges that happen um, largely because of these, these unique challenges that they experience. You know, they put pressure on them, and, and it comes out in all of these ways. And so, like the four friends, you know, we seek to bring them to Jesus, to remind them, no, your, your value is not in your performance. You do not need to compare yourself to one another. You do not need to live up to some kind of perfection standard of living um, you are pleasing to God just as you are you have a relationship with him that is not based on how hard you work being able to come alongside them and talk through the ways in which they are basically turning to idols instead of to Jesus for their satisfaction and their fulfillment so why do we do this why do we care for missionaries? Well, partially because, as someone once said, the world is thirsty for living water, but will never believe it exists if it is presented by parched messengers. Uh, this idea of parched messengers brings, uh, brings to mind one of my favorite movie scenes that I'm hoping that we're going to be able to pull up and show here when we talk about messengers who, sh who show up parched. Do we have that ready? Lipa? 
Uh, I imagine many of you have seen this movie already and you knew what it was, but it's still so funny when you watch it. And it does make me think about, um, you know, the first two guys, you know, if they had said, oh yeah, we, we have this living water and you see them in the condition they're in and you would highly question their credibility. Now, Chevy Chase and the third guy, he's has so much and he's irresponsible with it and doesn't doesn't even share it. So none of them are a great model for what we're going for, but you get this idea that, you know, a, lar- a large part of being able to um, communicate the gospel is not just with words. It's like by showing the, with the quality of your life. Um, so we, we greatly value our staff across Europe. Um, our motivation does go, though, beyond just our love for them. We want them to be healthy, that their thirst will be quenched by the living water of Christ, that they will not only tell people about the fulfillment that comes from him, they'll show it. And just as these friends bringing the paralytic to Jesus resulted in him being glorified, ultimately, God is glorified by the faith we show when we follow their example. Um, if you do the math, we moved to Budapest seven years ago. You think back, all the things that happened over the past seven years, and though we don't live here, from a distance, we've noticed that it seems like things have gotten really, really difficult here. That it seems like that um, building relationships with people is riskier than it has ever been before. That there's so much potential for you to, to fail to make a connection or to step on somebody's toes politically, religiously, ethnically. Um, and we have so much gratitude that those of you who are here are continuing to stay engaged, that you're continuing to reach out. Um, the truth is, is that we can be confident because we can know Jesus well enough to know that our steps to try to take initiative to build these relationships and to share Christ, they can they can result in new life. It can bring about um, healing, forgiveness, and quenching the thirst that others have for eternal life. And it is so worth the effort to get beyond these challenges. So, so that's basically our charge to you, is to follow the example of these friends. Keep on taking initiative to build re- relationships with people who need Jesus, whether it be Uh, someone who is far away from him, or whether it be someone who is close but needs somebody still to preach the gospel to them. Persevere in the face of the potential to offend others. It's messy, uh, but we we serve a Lord who is bigger than the mess, and he can actually handle all of the missteps that we make. And He's working in people's lives, and oftentimes all it, all it takes is for someone just to reach out and to begin a conversation. And uh, we can know that our faith, as we do this, brings glory to God, whatever the results are. Then um, finally, uh, we would like to say thank you for Fellowship's generous financial support, your prayers for us. And if any of you would individually like to learn more about how you can support us, you can find us on Facebook as the Ministry of Mike and Kelly Maney, or I don't know if it'll work, you can scan this QR code and get to our site where 
Um, you can sign up for our newsletter if you want to give a gift or if you just want to check out more information about what we do. Um, we would welcome that. So um, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that your word um, challenges us. It shows us um, a way to live that brings you glory. And we thank you that uh, when, we, when we live this way, it brings us fulfillment. It brings us satisfaction as well. Uh, we ask that you would empower us um, to live like these friends. That you would give us the, the courage the faith to step out in conversations with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family, with those that you bring to us, knowing that um, you, you are worth it and that you are glorified in our efforts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we thank the